You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is ITK analyst David Leach. David, how are you? Giles, I'm well. I trust all our listeners are are well and... uh, uh, and and enjoying what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's um, only been a couple of days since our last podcast, but we thought we'd get this one out quite quickly because it's very topical. It's an interview with Jeff Dimery, the CEO of Alinta Energy, um, and um, I found it quite fascinating, David. Um, um, any brief comments before we listen to it? No, no, it was great. Uh, I, I, Jeff used to be uh, at AGL before he went off to Alinta. Alinta was going to be an IPO initial public offering, uh, before it was bought out by a Hong Kong company. Uh, subsequently, the parent of Alinda went on and bought uh, Loyang B. Uh, and and Jeff, Jeff is a real doer. Mm. Let's, let's listen to what he had to say. Just before that, how, how, big, how much does Alinda rank? Is it number four, number five, as far as sort of energy retailers go? Uh, as far as retailing goes, uh, probably not, because uh, Alinda's business is very, one of the reasons I didn't like it as an analyst, to be quite frank, is half its business is in West Australia, which is where it started in gas retailing. Uh, and the other half is a collection of assets that came out of a, a company called Babcock and Brown Power, which was a bunch of uh, gas-fired and coal-fired uh, um, generators yes. that are sort of scattered all over the place. So he's, he's done well to build up a retail customer base. And then I think as he may say in the interview, but he was quoted in the paper as saying, since we've had these price re- reforms, uh, you know, that market's gone dead and we can say something about that after. But let's listen to what he had to say. Absolutely, yeah. One of the bigger players anyway in the markets. Um, here is Jeff Dimery from Alinta Energy, and I think you'll enjoy this. Jeff Dimery from Alinta, thanks very much for joining Energy Insiders. You're welcome, Giles. Pleasure to be here. Look, there's a lot of questions that David and I have for you, and we'll be taking turns answering it. Um, so much going on, so many new investments, some um, interesting decisions on existing assets. But I'm going to start with the most boring question. We're right in the middle of reporting season, and we've seen some really quite contrasting results from Energy Australia, which has taken the billion-dollar write-down, and AGL, which is kind of held firm on his its results, although both are seeing headwinds into the future with um, lower wholesale prices, lower REX prices, rising fuel costs. I'm just wondering if you could tell us what um, Alinta's point of view is. Um, You're not a listed company anymore, but you're welcome to use Energy Insiders as your uh, distribution platform for your results. (laughs) Thanks, Giles. Um, Look, we had a good year, there's no doubt, uh, for the year just concluded. Um, It it was a, a good, profitable year for us, our best, in fact. Um, I would like to point out, however, that the average margin that we're making per customer has dropped. Uh, It's just that we're winning quite a bit of market share out there. So we're getting more customers, but we're making less from them. How are you winning market share? Is it just competitive pricing? Absolutely. It's all about um, product and and, uh, and reach. Um, So we've expanded our market channels uh, and we're participating in more areas in the market uh, and we believe, uh, we know, uh, we're offering a very competitive product which is resonating very strongly with consumers. 
The um, you, you talked about the record profit. This has been the last question before handing over to David. Um, you talk about record profit. So what's been driving that? I presume in the wholesale markets have been good for you. And if that's the case, how long do you expect that to last? And do you also see headwinds into the future? So we had a contribution from right across um, our portfolio, including investments in the Pilbara in Western Australia. We had a, a strong retail performance through the growth in that part of our uh, portfolio. And yes, uh, undeniably, the higher wholesale prices have, have benefited our result. Um, to your question, how long will that continue? Um, I'm not certain of that. There are a number of factors that have been driving that, including the fact that we're in a drought and so there's been less hydro generation. I don't see that ending anytime soon. Um, we've seen upward pressure on black coal pricing, which is obviously an important input cost for New South Wales generators. We've seen a doubling of the gas price in the last few years, so that's feeding its way into the market. And then importantly, uh, most of the market was anticipating seeing a lot more renewables come online, but uh, due to the planning and stability issues with the grid uh, and changing, I guess, requirements from market operator, those projects have been slower to come to market, which has meant um, higher for longer wholesale pricing. Jeff, it's David Leach here. Uh, I, Lo Yang B, Alinta doesn't own that directly, as I, but your Alinta's owner owns it, if I can put it that way. And I think you have a uh, a contract to purchase seventy five percent of its output for some years. Have I got that part right? You have, David. Absolutely. Can I ask, firstly, can, what can you say about the pricing on that? Does it vary year by year? Is it relate to market pricing, or is it is it is it fixed? Um, well, we bid we bid the plant based on. Um, the, the input factors that we have, uh, our availability obviously is derated over summer due to heat and things like that, but it's competitively bid into the market. The price ultimately that we're able to contract for uh, will depend on what's happening in the market. Um, and I just went through all the factors that meant wholesale prices were holding up higher for longer. Having said sure, that, sure, fully... uh, uh, sure, but I mean, I just mean a litter buys from LYB. Uh, at, 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 I mean, that that's a separate sort of price deal, is it? Or, or I mean, that or I mean, Alinda buys yeah, that, at the market price. Yeah. No. So what happened was that, uh, insofar as arrangements between uh, Latrobe Valley Power and Alinta, um, was that uh, if you like, Alinta was supporting the Latrobe Valley Power bid as a long-term off-taker or contractor, and so those um, contracts between Latrobe Valley Power. And Alinta was struck at the time of the acquisition. Now, that was required, obviously, from a lending perspective, because anybody looking to lend money to Latrobe Valley Power wanted security over its income. And uh, by putting in place that long-term hedge, we were able to provide that. And I'll move away from Loyang B in a second, but I note that one of the units has had uh, about an 80 million generator and turbine uh, upgrade and seems to have put its output up by about 40 megawatts. I'm wondering, has the total coal consumption go up as a result of that or, or, or have you been able to do it uh, <laughs> costlessly, if I can put it that way, in terms of energy requirements? We've actually seen, David, around a 4.8% improvement in efficiency through through the um, outage work that we undertook. You're right, we're generating uh, more megawatts. Uh, but we're using the coal uh, nearly 5% more efficiently to generate that output. 
that's a great result and seems to be uh, what a number of coal generators are doing across their different units. I'll hand back to Giles, who I'm sure wants to talk about what you're doing in the more renewable space, and I'm keen to hear about some of that too. Yeah, um, yeah well, just before you, you do, David, I, I thought, just make note, um, we've made a commitment, uh, not, not publicly, I guess, but within the Alinta portfolio to reduce wherever we can the emissions footprint of all of our generation fleet. Um, obviously, and we'll get on to this, we're a big investor in the renewable space now, and we're very passionate about that. But in addition to that, we've undertaken a number of works right across our portfolio, seeking efficiency gains from all of our gas-fired generators and also from our coal-fired generation, which we just talked about. Just well, we, look. I'm just going to say one one more thing on um, on Loyang B. I mean, the current closure um, scheduled closure for Loyang, I think, is um, early 2040s. Is that right, or is it late 2030s? I can't quite remember. It's the it's actually uh, licensed Giles until 2047. In terms of an operating 2047. license. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, now, what's, what's, you what's know, do I do I think we'll be there in 2047? Um, I think it's probably unlikely. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, I, guess, I can tell you I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> but, Thank you, David. Uh, look, Go on, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. No, look, uh, we licensed until then. Um, I think, you know, we're clearly going through a, a, a fairly significant transition in the Australian stationary energy sector now. And um, I, I don't think anybody could predict with great confidence what's going to happen um, in the second part of next decade, let alone 2047. So, uh, you know, we were fortunate that we were able to acquire that asset at a very reasonable cost. Um, the market's been kind to us since we acquired the asset um, and largely its future will be dictated to uh, by the market and the way that um, things play out over the next decade or two. The market being kind to you, I guess, translates into making a lot of money out of it, and I guess that's because of the wholesale prices. I do want to talk about a lot of your renewable projects because some of them are really fascinating and and and, um, and exciting. But before we move on, there, um, the Angi process by the coalition government. Now, no one really expected this to sort of go too far forward because the um, election result was supposed to go the other way, according to all the punk pundits. But um, you've got a you've got a couple of projects shortlisted there. The, 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 the gas-fired projects, if I'm if if I'm remember rightly, are they have these been also long-term plans, or was this just a bit of an opportunistic play to plug into an offering from the government? And have you heard anything since the election? And where do you expect it to go now? Uh, so they were obviously we participated in the government's process. The plans themselves had been in the works or in development phase for some time. Obviously, you can't um, get a permit to build a gas-fired power station overnight. So we've had an option on that Reeves Plain site in South Australia for a number of years, and we already own the, uh, the Bensdale site. They are the two gas-fired power stations you're talking about. We would love to replicate our generation portfolio on the West Coast over on the East Coast um, we're definitely a market leader when it comes to the levelised cost of energy in the West, and that's by combining our, uh, I would say, flexible gas plant at Pinjara and Wagerup uh, with the renewable wind farms that we've invested in and underwritten at Walkaway and at Bajangara, 
And uh, obviously that position will only be strengthened when the Yandon wind farm is up and running in September 2020. Um, we would love obviously to replicate that on the east. I think the reality is that um, insofar as the east is concerned, there's a lot of existing infrastructure and there's a lot of spaghetti to unwind there as we move to a or transition to a lower carbon economy. And I don't think things will play out quite as quickly as they will in, in other states where you don't have those legacy positions. So you, you've uh, sold 75% of that, I think, to uh, to Ratchin from Thailand. Uh, and then I presume you've contracted the output back. Is, is that how that works? So it's 70%, but yes, that's right. That's exactly right, David. So you'll recall I did similar things when I was at AGL. Um, for us, it's an opportunity to recycle the capital and go again on the next project. Um, I don't mind whether we, we're happy to carry them on balance sheets so that we don't have delays through the development phase, um, permitting, planning, and, and even entering into EPC contracts and commencing construction, but ultimately also happy not to own them, but definitely want to manage the, uh, the output from those investments. And in terms of capacity factors, and I'll hand back to Giles, and, and, and cost per megawatt, I mean, this will be one of the newer wind farms. and. Uh, have you seen some improvement compared to when you were looking at them uh, when you were at, say, AGL and doing the original Hallett and stuff? About the half the cost. So I've seen a significant improvement, however you want to put that. Um, this particular wind farm at Yandon has a capacity factor of almost 50%. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's out there, there's no doubt. Um, combine that with the latest technology that we're using from Vestas and uh, the levelised cost of energy is about half what it was um, in those early days. Can we put a number around that? Because Snowy um, Hydro has talked um, in its recent tender, talked about sort of, you know, prices in the 40s and 50s. Um, in fact, it seemed to infer something lower, but it was a bit confusing with the firming costs and what you assume that to be. So are we around about $50 a megawatt hour? Uh, look, I can tell you that the levelised cost of energy coming out of that plant is in the in the mid to high 40s before firming. Fascinating, fascinating. You've got and and obviously the good thing there is we own we own the plant that's going to firm it up, um, and in fact we've spent considerable capital to increase the flexibility of our gas-fired generation, uh, and we're going to spend some more again, so that it is the, it's the perfect um, uh, partner to to the intermittent generation that we're building. So mid to high forties for the wind farm, and you've got the firming. So bundled cost of um, firmed wind power, I and mean, you've already got a fifty percent capacity factor, so you've got a fairly reliable source there. Yeah, we do, and I'd say that we'll be in a position to put to uh, compete in a wholesale market at prices at sub seventy dollars per megawatt hour. Mm. That's great. And I noticed that you've uh, sold the river as well. Uh, what can you tell us about yes. how you're thinking about that, that project? Again, um, you know, the, we work collaboratively with the guys on the project and uh, it's uh, uh, 200 megawatts of photovoltaic, uh, 100 megawatt battery capacity. Um, what was really good in those negotiations was that uh, the proponents, the developers, were able to give us a product that is saleable into the retail market and uh, will fit very well into the Alintra Energy wholesale portfolio. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, you know, the change is coming. It's coming rapidly. 
uh, and uh, we think we can play a, a significant role in that change process. Do you, I mean, most of your re recent projects have, have tried to offer some component of firming. I was recently speaking to Gordon Weimer and he says that, you know, Snowy's market is moving away from offering caps to offering firming of, of, of uh, variable renewable energy. Is, is that the way you're trying to set up your business? Look, uh, yeah, I guess uh, in part, um, it would be, David, a gross simplification to put it that way, but um, recognising that uh, what we ultimately have to supply customers is a, is a secure energy, uh, affordable energy supply. And there's no doubt that, um, you know, various governments are trying to look to push that responsibility back onto the retailer um, in, in securing uh, those the supply in such a way that it can be delivered. Um, and so we are starting to move towards a, a combination of, uh, of a capacity market uh, ultimately, whether it gets priced explicitly that way or not, that's what's happening. Um, so we'll be moving to a combination of energy plus capacity. And so we're developing a portfolio that will be successful in that operating environment. Can I just ask about Solar River um, and the battery storage? It's placed um, or going to be located right next to the Robertstown um, uh, substation or junction or whatever. That's going to be where the proposed new interconnector to New South Wales is going to be built. Is it in any way dependent um, on that interconnector being built or are you just assuming it will be or can it live without it? Look, uh, it will live without it. It's not a CP to the contract, Giles. So, you know, it'd be nice. That'll be good. Um, thank you. But uh, if it doesn't happen, it won't prevent the project going ahead. Yeah. And what, tell me about this. So this battery, and I think you mentioned it was 100 megawatts, and I think in some of the sort of, you know, the, the thinking about it, it's been mentioned 300 megawatt hours, which is sort of three-hour storage, and whether or not you end up with that particular configuration, I guess, is yet to be seen. But um, tell me how you're thinking about battery storage. And you just mentioned the sort of the, you know, the up upcoming sort of introduction of a capacity component, which I hope ends up being like a flexibility component rather than strict capacity. But anyway, but how are you thinking about the value proposition for batteries in the market now? Well, it's, um, dare I say, it's not a simple answer. It's horses for courses. As I, as I mentioned, we participate in um, the Swiss, the NAWIS and the NEM. Uh, for instance, uh, prior to the battery going in, the much uh, publicised battery in South Australia by Elon Musk, um, uh, Linter installed a, a 30 megawatt battery up in the Pilbara at our Newman power station. Um, did, the economics did. of fascinating. The economics of that power station has been wonderful. There were no government grants or subsidies. Uh, we did that commercially. And the whole role there was to eliminate spinning reserves. So we weren't burning gas in standby mode in case something went wrong. Um, we got a clear benefit for the customer. The reliability and security of their supply has increased dramatically off the back of that investment. So uh, that that is how we think about things in the Pilbara. Um, and we're looking at doing more there. Um, if I think about it in terms of the, the Swiss, um, again, uh, at the moment, there's there's enough capacity in the market. It's not not a problem. But you know, now that the government have announced the closure of or impending closure of Muja down the track, um, we'll have to have a, another look at that. Um, whereas in the in the uh, in the NEM, uh, it's been more about uh, an ability to shift energy 
from, I'll call it, uh, average operating periods to those super critical periods. Um, there have been a number of batteries installed now that have done well around our ancillary services, ancillary services, et cetera. The problem with that is the more batteries that go in, the more, you, you know, that revenue stream is, is going to be cannibalised or, or, or divided up. So um, the economics of that won't stack up um, for an investment purpose alone over time. It's good at the start, um, but long term, it's just uh, basically it's how you manage that energy storage and, and arbitrage between uh, different time periods. Jeff, I'm very conscious you're going to hop on a plane in a while. Uh... I just lots of things I could ask about gas supply transmission uh, that are on my mind, but I'm going to ask you about your target of a, a thousand megawatts of renewable supply. I think you're at 540 at one stage, and then you've got a couple more projects. Uh, are you still open for business in terms of new projects, or how are you thinking about that over the next two or three years? Well, David, I've just been um, travelling all around the country. I've been up in the Pilbara this morning talking to our staff up there, and. Uh, been out at Wager up this afternoon talking to the staff there. Happy to announce that we're increasing that target from 1,000 to 1,500 megawatts. Um, so that's a 50% increase uh, in our target uh, for investment in this uh, clean energy technology space. Hmm. And that, will that be focused on the Swiss or the NEM? Uh, all over. So we, we've got projects, uh, uh, live projects that um, we're working on in the Pilbara. Um, obviously, we, we have announced the projects we're developing in the Swiss um, and, uh, and you know, clearly with the Solar River project and many others that we've got in the pipeline uh, on the East Coast, we see that playing a role as well. You'll have to tell me about your next race horse. I might have to have a bet on it, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we, can we go back up to the Pilbara? You just mentioned the Pilbara there. Um, you, um, we've written about the 60 megawatt solar farm that's been considered for this new transmission line that's been proposed for um, to link, um, I think, Gina Reinhardt's iron ore mines and the Fortescue iron ore mines. Um, can you confirm when a final decision will be made on that one? And um, judging by what you've just said, I mean, maybe you're just looking at that project, but maybe you're looking at even more things up there. Yeah, we're, we're looking, I think, uh, I'd, I'd rather not make a specific comment on that project just because we've signed up not to comment. Um, so I'll leave that out. But what I can tell you is we have a very definitive uh, strategic vision for the uh, Pilbara region. And at the core of that strategy is connecting our Newman power station in the, the southern Pilbara region to our Port Hedland power station in the north. Um, and then through that, adding battery technology and connecting up uh, a series of renewable assets to, uh, to those thermal generated uh, interlinked power plants. So that's our strategy. Um, insofar as specific customers are concerned, I'd rather not comment uh, about any specific customer, but we've got a number of customers that we're talking to in that region and we're very excited by the, the prospects of those developments. And I would think in terms of timing, um, you could expect some you know, major sort of announcements one way or the other by the, uh, certainly by the end of this calendar year, if not before. Exciting stuff. I've got two very quick questions. You talked about the Newman battery and the role that that had been playing um, and the money that you've been saving um, by sort of eliminating spinning reserve and reducing your burning gas. What sort of payback are you looking for that? Can you say? Uh, I think uh, roughly the payback on that was about uh, four and a half years, Giles. So, you know, an excellent mm. payback for 
the type of asset that it was. It, it was more than the financial return. Um, it actually was really important to our customer um, around the ongoing security and reliability of their supply. Uh, you know, they run a very big operation. Which improved reliability. Yeah, correct. So it, it delivered multiple benefits well beyond its economic case. Yeah. I've got one final question. Um, Looking at the future of the grid, I mean, WA is really quite fascinating because it's an isolated grid, doesn't have any interconnections. The NEM is fascinating in itself because of, you know, the amount of renewables that are coming in. How quickly, and looking at sort of, you know, climate change issues and you're in the energy industry, how quickly do you think we should be decarbonising the grid? And how quickly do you think we can decarbonise the grid given the technology that we have and maybe are about to have? It's a good question. Um, I've been saying probably for the better part of 24 months now that uh, both technology and the technology cost curves had uh, essentially made the whole political debate around carbon targets redundant as far as I was concerned. Um, and I think that's proven to be the case. I mean, the stationary energy sector will, in all likelihood, um, certainly, uh, I think, sail past the, the Paris Accord uh carbon reduction targets, it's, it's certainly its percentage, and if not, do quite a bit of lifting for other sectors, and that's without any extension of RET or introduction of a carbon emissions trading scheme. Now, that's not to say that had we have had one of those things in place uh, from the very beginning, we wouldn't have got a quicker and more efficient outcome. Uh, I'm not saying that at all, but what I'm saying is given where we are at right now with all of the things that have been implemented and done to this stage, it's no longer required. Um, industry will behave rationally and commercially. And as these cost curves come down um, and as we can add reliable generation to the grid um, it, with a lower emissions footprint, that's exactly what's going to happen, provided it's done economically. And I see that playing out now. Um, I do think, having said all of that, we've got some major challenges. Um, you know, if I use the analogy, we've, we've, we've flown across the ocean um, and, uh, and the plane sailing over land, we've got to land it safely now. And that, that, that's really where we're at as an industry, in my view. Um, Coal-fired power stations will, will continue to be marginalised and closed over time, um, depending on their own cost structures. And they will be replaced by renewable energy, battery technology, pumped hydro, um, solar PV, etc. So uh, how quickly does that play out? Uh, my view is that... Uh, I mentioned earlier that by 2047, um, you know, that was our license around coal. I would think that uh, we're probably talking early 2030s in reality when those assets probably will really struggle to be around. And that's just me using my crystal ball and gut feel having been around for 20 years. But uh, I think they're the timeframes we're dealing with. And, and I think anything we do around the edges is, is merely noise. That's going to happen anyway. And I can't see it being brought forward without wasting a lot of money and having little effect. And I, I just don't see it being delayed either. And I don't think it's beneficial to talk about delaying it. I think just let it happen. It's happening naturally. That was Jeff Dimery from Alinta Energy. Um, David, look, I found that a fascinating interview. Um, I dare, dare, dare we say it, there's been a bit of a transformation in some of the views in Alinta Energy. I think if you talked to Alinta a couple of years ago, just after they closed down the Northern Power Station and sounded pretty grumpy about doing so, um, I don't think they would have been sort of talking about renewables in quite the same enthusiasm that Jeff seems to be talking about it now. 
Well, I'd say it's opportunistic. You know, uh, this is the part of the economics. Uh, whatever your ideology, every person who's the chief executive understands uh, uh, cost and price and, and where they fit into the market. And the, uh, Jeff was very enthusiastic about the cost reductions of wind that he's seen. And in West Australia, they help because he's going to get a capacity factor of 50%, which we won't see everywhere else. But, you know, he's also done well with Loyang B. As we mentioned in that, in that interview, he's actually got an upgrade out of that thing. He, it went, the upgrade went very smoothly and it doesn't appear to use any more coal, but he's getting, you know, another 40 megabytes out of one turn. So, you know, he, he's just uh, doing what he can. Absolutely, yeah. So look, and look, and I found it really interesting. Just some of the um, the fact that he's extending the um, the uh, the auction, if you like, the the amount of renewables he wants to mandate from one thousand megawatts to one thousand five hundred megawatts, um, based largely on the cheap cost. Well, he's the only one doing that, Giles, and that's the point I wanted to make. I'm going to send you a little note, which I hope you might get round to publishing about this, uh, pointing out that actually, you know, if you look at AGL, they haven't announced anything since uh, 2017, anything new. Origin hasn't announced anything new since 2017. They're both about, uh, and Energy Australia only announced a total 350, 380 megawatts of, of new VRE, and they haven't announced anything since 2017. So those big three uh, haven't announced anything at all in the last 18 months. Uh, you could, it's pretty much the same. Snowy, of course, has done, as we heard, it's 800 megawatts, but it's full now. So uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that these guys have lost market share. They'll all tell you that wind and solar are cheaper than anything else out there, but they're not actually investing at the moment. Mm. Um, this interview was done last Thursday. Um, a day later, we heard that um, that um, Angus Taylor and the New South Wales government had combined to um, get, put what a special task force to look at the closure of Liddell. Look, we'll talk about that. Look, the headline in the Australian said that Alinta had its hand up to buy it. Um, I actually <laughs> rang up Alinta people after this. I said, hang on, <laughs> that doesn't sound like what we just discussed on the conversation. They said, no, no, look, that sounds like a bit of a beat up to us. We were asked about Alinta and of course we just said the stock standard thing. If something's uh, presented to us, we'll have a look at it. But um, there's no active expression in interest in, in it. And um, in fact, we consider it not for sale. Um, so that sort of clarifies that shock horror to think that the Australian might have beaten something well, Charles, up. But, um, but this Liddell task, task Force, um, David, um, it just like, they were told three years ago, all these governments, that this was going to close. Um, they haven't done anything yet. Well, they can't do anything. They don't own the bloody coal-fired power station. You know, it's a, <laughs> last time I looked, it was in a private enterprise. And, you know, AGL's been in a real bind. And to I'll be honest, I think they're trying to walk back a little bit and, and build a bridge. But you can't build a bridge with uh, the federal government on anything sensible. I mean, let's go to the point that COAG and the ESB and the uh, AEMO and even the AMC are all set on this integrated systems plan as a way forward. But Angus Taylor won't even call a meeting about of COAG to, you know, you'll never hear him mention transmission. You've never heard him mention the integrated system plan. You never hear him mention AEMO. It's like they don't exist. Uh, uh, he's living in a world of his own. It's not an accident. It's a completely deliberate strategy, uh, as far as I can see, to try and bypass everyone else because he's the smartest guy in the room. Now, as far as this inquiry into Liddell goes, there's been an upper house inquiry about a year ago into electricity in New South Wales, and there's now a lower house inquiry that's been run at the, mo at the moment. 
that's due to taking submissions until September. So why we need a third bloody inquiry when everyone knows <laughs> that we need, uh, you know, firstly, some more transmission. That's the industry is almost unanimous on that. The only people that are lukewarm about building new transmission are the guys that potentially stand to lose a bit from it. That would be the existing coal generators. Everyone else thinks that, that we need some more transmission and we should get it built fairly quickly. And, and none of these six big companies really think that we need to build a new coal-fired power station. I've never heard one of them suggest that. Uh, in the last five years. No, that's exactly right. Well, look, that's a good way to um, sum it up. Um, I don't disagree with any of that. And um, look, I think we'll just sort of let the uh, Jeff Dimery interview stand um, for itself because I think it was a fascinating um, interview. I want to thank our um, sponsors, Solarate Energy, right here from the start, which is um, fantastic. And uh, Evergen, thank you very much for being with us. And um, thank you, David. And um... Charles, just one thing before we go. I was just looking at the week's prices and, you know, they were very volatile and we had a lot of very low negative prices in South Australia, but actually the weekly average still ended up pretty much where it always is. And, and this shows that we've still got this uh, dichotomy between uh, a very low prices when there's a lot of wind and sun around and very high prices when there's not. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. And we're still looking at wind and solar up at about 15% market share now. That's about 2% uh, higher than last year. Uh, and that's going to keep on growing. Sorry, I didn't... Uh, no, that's okay. And that just reminds me, I'm going to fit something else in. The um, AEMO Quarterly um, Energy Dynamics came out late on Friday. We had a quick bash at it on Friday. A couple of really interesting points to make. One, the um, AEMO concerned about the increased outages in brown coal and uh, black coal generators, including in Queensland. Um, a lot of gas, record production of gas. So it's quite funny they're talking about reservations now and, and, and stuff like that. And also the impact of um, solar in particular during the midday in both um, lowering prices, lowering demand, and also having the biggest impact in lowering emissions, which I thought was quite interesting. And some fascinating stuff about storage as well. Batteries seem to make a lot more money a lot shorter time than some of the big pumped hydro ones going around the place, which still makes me wonder about Snowy 2.0, but still. <laughs> and finally, on the sort of uh, what I might call niceties of the details of the news of the week, uh, something that caught the uh, insiders in the electricity industry uh, and got, the, got, got them talking was that AEMO's called for RERT, that's the uh, emergency response. Uh, they've called for um, um, uh, tenders for it for this coming summer in, in quite a lot of states, including Queensland. And uh, I think uh, that surprised people it's just to how tight uh, the market is according to AEMO. But I guess we don't want any repeat of what happened in uh, Victoria last year where we had involuntary load shedding that wouldn't have been necessary if we'd had some more transmission. <laughs> Maybe that's where we should look. There you go. Thanks very much, David. Thank you very much for listening. Bye for now. We'll be back again next week. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. With technology developed in Australia with the CSIRO, Evergen customers can maximise the return on their sustainable energy investment. Visit evergen.com.au and take control of your energy bills. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.